The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you pray with me one more time as we ask God to shine his word into our hearts? And Father, now as we do have this time to open your word and to study it, To hear the the preaching of it, Lord, we pray that you would work powerfully both in the preaching and in the listening, in the hearing, in the receiving of your word, that we would marvel at your grace displayed, that we, Lord God, would lift our hands, our hearts, our voices, that we would dedicate our lives to you, that you have called us to yourself. You have been so kind to us that we can identify you as our Father. Lord, that our lives would be lifted to you in praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray for this time now that you would stir us, that you would warm our hearts, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would light us a fire burning with zeal for you, recognizing your great love with which you have loved us. Work according to your purpose in this time now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So we are continuing to work slowly through this first chapter of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're taking five weeks to work through verses 3 through 14. Five weeks because really in this passage, which is one sentence, I'll remind you, verses 3 through 14, we see five wonderful truths that Paul brings up that he presents to us that should stir in our hearts praise to God. And that's the beginning of this paragraph, of this sentence, of this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It just bubbles out from Paul It flows from his pen as he's writing this, as he's considering the great grace that God has shown to him. Words of praise, blessed be God. Blessed be God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. First, he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. That is what we looked at last week. We spent our time together in verses 3 and 4, 
thinking about and looking into and examining scripture about God's choosing of us before the foundation of the world, that we would live lives that are holy, that reflect him, and how we should be so grateful, how our lives should be praising God because of his choice of us. This week, we're looking at verses five and six. Blessed be God, because he has predestined us for adoption. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. We see also, as we work through this passage next week, we will be talking about praise God for the redemption that we have received through Jesus Christ And then that we have obtained an inheritance, praise God that we have obtained an inheritance. And lastly, praise God that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I hope that what we spent our time with last week has been resonating in your hearts, been turning over in your mind. I know it has been for me, encouraging you in God's love for you that he chose you, believer, before the foundation of the world. He chose you, and he called you to a holy life. I hope it's been an encouragement that your place is in Christ. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. It's not based on you earning it, working hard for it, deserving it. No, it's because Christ has earned salvation for you. And though we spent an hour last week talking about the blessing of God and his goodness toward us, I want you to know we have not yet exhausted the blessing of God. We haven't even come close. Think of it like going up a mountain trail. Along the way, as you're going along, you get glimpses of what's ahead. You get these different various perspectives, even spots where there might be a little clearing and you get a a peekaboo view of something beautiful. But as you continue your way up and up, no longer are those views just glimpses, but then you arrive and you see the whole panorama. Even more splendor and glory And I want you to know, church, that that is where Paul takes us this morning. Last week, verses 3 and 4 was glorious. It was beautiful. But this week, he takes us even further in. This week, he takes us even higher up to see the grace of God toward us and the love that he has for us. The reality of God's choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world is a glorious truth, but there's even more to be seen. The realities of what 
God has accomplished for us through Christ. As we see these glories, we see they are spectacular. And Paul, if you think of him like like our mountain guide, he's going to lead us into these places where we see these even greater glories. And this morning, the truth that I want you to, to leave with, to understand, is that it is by God's grace and for God's glory that we have been brought into God's family. By God's grace, for God's glory, we have been brought into God's family. Well, look with me, if you will, at the two words before verse 5. I can't say just verse 5, but those two words even leading up to verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, just like climbing up a mountain... There's some work to be done. Going up a mountain isn't always easy. It can be difficult. There's some some heavy lifting to be done. Some essentials that we need in order to be able to arrive at that destination and enjoy the panorama. Well, this word predestined is a big, heavy theological word. And I don't want it to be something that we just stumble and fall over and got caught up and we can't proceed any further. So let's talk about this word. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. I hope we can take hold of this and appreciate its beauty. Now, predestined It's related to another heavy, weighty theological word that we saw last week, that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we were chosen. This week we read we are predestined unto adoption. Those two are related, but but they are different. And Paul isn't just repeating himself, saying the same thing. No, he's looking at things from different angles, different perspectives. He's shining light from different places so that we can see the fullness of God's glory and his grace toward us. Yes, he's chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, but he has also predestined us for adoption. God's choice of us is his actual choosing. His actual selection, the predestined, that speaks of God's eternal purpose. This is God's plan in eternity past. This is God's determination of his will. This is God declaring what he would do. He predestined us for adoption. This is what I have determined to do, God says. This is what I will accomplish. This is what I have decided. This is what I have already declared. This is going to happen. And if we were going to look at it then as like a sequence, we would say God predestined us, and then he actually did the choosing of us. 
So do you understand there's a variation, there's a difference, but they are very closely related because it's related to God's eternal plan. And it's related to our salvation. In eternity past, that God chose us according to his will. That he had predestined us unto adoption. All throughout the history of the world, God has been carrying out his will. God has been acting on what he has determined that he would do. If you remember Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when all of the Jews were gathered and Peter is delivering his Pentecost sermon to them, Peter had such an understanding of God's predestination, God's predetermined purpose and will that he could even say to those that were listening, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus was delivered up. Jesus was crucified, but it was according to God's definite plan, according to God's foreknowledge. Yes, men in time acted that out, and they were guilty. They were responsible for that which they did, but God all along, God well before had predetermined that this would take place. Now, church, I, I, I want us to take hold of this and to understand that this doctrine and that this word, rather than causing us to stumble and fall down, this should be something that we can take up with us, and it should be a comfort to us. This idea of being predestined, that God having an eternal plan that he is carrying out, we could look at the the life and the death of Jesus and think how terrible, how horrible, what a tragedy. But no, God in his eternal knowledge and his infinite knowledge said, no, this isn't a tragedy. This is how I will triumph over sin and Satan and death through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so too, I want this doctrine to be a comfort that even as you're going through life and you think these things are happening, that it seems the world's unraveling. It seems like things are beginning to spin out of control. There's all of this turbulence that I'm experiencing. We can take hold of truths like this. We can revisit passages like this and we can see, oh, I remember. God has a plan. God is in control and he is accomplishing his purposes. He is accomplishing his predetermined will. He is carrying out his plans. And ultimately, that is for the accomplishment of salvation, of redemption. And as we'll see this morning, what goes even further, the adoption of poor, 
and miserable sinners, making them sons and daughters of the Most High God. This is a comfort. This is a pastoral doctrine. It should warm our hearts. It should encourage us. It should strengthen us in our faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says about this, this predestined unto adoption, he says that our adoption is the highest expression even of God's love. Our highest expression even of God's love. The Apostle John in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 1 You know this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. My family's been listening to me sing this during the week, trying to get people to sing it in and around with me unsuccessfully this week. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Apostle John, he's inviting us in, see what kind of love? If you want to think about love, think about this, look upon this, set your eyes upon this and gaze here for a while at the beauty of God's love that we should be called children of of God. God has called you as his son, as his daughter. If you would ever doubt or question the love of God, just think about that truth and how magnificent that truth is and how great that truth is. Such a great love that he has brought you into his family. And he has adopted you and given you that identity, son of the most high God, daughter of the most high God. John writes in his gospel, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's doing, that some are born unto him, born again to new life, and brought into a new family. So I don't want you to think about this predestination predestined for adoption, like this is just some old crusty doctrine, that this is just something that's a cold theological peg that you can hang things on. No, that's not what this is. This is the warm affection of a heavenly father. This is the work of God who acted on our behalf for our benefit, despite despite our miserable state, despite Despite our treatment of him, even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
to overcome our sin and our misery through the cross, to change our hearts, to fill us with his spirit, to bring us into his family. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says about adoption that it's an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number, brought into the family, and that we have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that resonate within you as you think that God has predestined us for adoption? that he has brought us into his family, the response should be, blessed be God. Wow. We have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Most commentators agree that as Paul is considering adoption, as he brings in this term adoption here in Ephesians 1, as he uses it in other places in the New Testament as well, that that the Roman background is what he had as his basis for adoption. And what that was is that being adopted as a son, the Roman practice of adoption, they would adopt sons And the son would inherit land, would inherit wealth, would inherit the family name, and also the family honor, and carry that forward. Often it was done of adults, not like we do and we think of now where adoption We're going to get a baby, and we're going to bring it up as our own. No, in the Roman practice, it was often that they would adopt those who were already grown, those who had already proven themselves to be of of high standing and what they would consider good moral character, those that can continue on my legacy, those that I can entrust with my land and my wealth and my, my family name. But everything was signed over to the son. And all of their associations in the past, all of their family identity before was erased. There was no tie to that old family anymore. It was all about the new family. And everything the father had was given, placed upon the adopted son. What awesome privilege this was. How much was transferred, how much blessing was bestowed upon this adopted son. And as we think about our understanding of adoption, having a right to all the privileges of the sons of God, This isn't just a wealthy Roman man that we're talking about. No, this is God, the maker and creator of heaven and earth. And he has brought us into his family. He has adopted us as sons and daughters to himself. 
that we are called by his name, that we get to carry forward his work, and, and, and that we get to work for his glory, that we have, as we'll, we'll look at further on in this passage, this great inheritance that God has given to us. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What privilege we have. But unlike Roman adoption, where they would choose someone who was worthy, they would pick them out because they have shown themselves to be of good character, that's not the way that God chose us. It wasn't because we're worthy. No, it's not based on that. God's choice of us, listen to this, is based on his glory, right? That's what we're seeing this morning. For God's glory, we have been brought into God's family. For God's glory, we have been brought into God's family. We see this in verse 6. It is to the praise of his glorious grace. The glory of God is central to this passage. And if we don't hold the glory of God as the, the central aim or the high point of this passage, we're not going to understand this passage. We won't. God has worked in these various ways to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glorious grace, Paul says here. It makes it even more pointed. To the praise of his glorious grace. His grace is glorious. God would be praised because of the great and the glorious grace that he has shown, the gracious works that he has performed. And this is God's aim in working in these ways that we see in this passage. Chosen for holiness, predestined for adoption, redeemed, given an inheritance, sealed with the Holy Spirit, all so that his glory would be manifested and his name would be praised. Keep a finger in Ephesians 1, but turn back to the book of Acts and chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is where Paul goes to Ephesus and carries out a great ministry there. Acts chapter 19. Paul is visiting there for the first time, and he has a lengthy stay. We're told that he spends actually a couple of years there, verse 10, reasoning daily, preaching and teaching so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, now Paul, we know if he's spending two years in a place, that place is going to hear all about the work of Jesus Christ. 
Paul is gospel-centered, gospel-focused, gospel-preaching everywhere he goes. And as Paul is doing this, people are being saved. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. Magicians are are being converted. They're taking their, their books of the occult and they're burning them worth 50 thousand pieces of silver we read in Acts chapter 19. And even the idolatry in the city and the whole industry that's supported by idolatry is starting to be shaken. And that's when trouble comes, right? People's pocketbooks are being affected. And so there's an uproar. And that's what we read about beginning in verse 23. Follow along with me, Acts 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men... You know that from this business, we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. All right, we make these little idols, we craft these little gods, and people buy them, and we have our wealth by doing so. And now as Paul is preaching the truth, people are no longer buying these little idols, these little gods that we have fashioned. And Paul is even saying that gods that we've made with our own hands are not really gods. It all makes sense what Paul's saying. So we need to stop what's taking place. When the people of the city, verse 28, heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They were worried that their false god, Artemis, would lose glory because the true God was being made known. People were leaving off 
their magic practices. People were leaving off their worship of Artemis and their little idols because the true God was being made known to them. Even in verse 17 of Acts 19, we read that Jesus was extolled. The name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God was at work in Ephesus. God was at work among them. God was working a work of salvation. His glory was revealed in that. Magnificence, beauty, greatness, exalted and extolled Highness of God, the splendor of God. What can compare with that? A little God crafted by hands? Some magic practices? Nothing else can compare. And God won't share his glory with any other. Isaiah tells us that in different places in his writings. God will not share his glory. God is not an egomaniacal God who's looking for affirmation. Praise me, praise me, please. I need the attention. No. When we talk about things being to the praise of God's glory, it's because that's the highest aim. The one true God, the holy and the righteous God, who is pure and perfect in all of his ways, there's nothing higher to aim for than the glory of God. No greater perfection than God's glory. And so he works He moves. He carries out his predetermined will so that he would be glorified because that is as high as we could ever aim. And as he reveals his glory to us and he invites us also to work for his glory, we see that invitation and that work is all of grace. It is all because of God's grace. By God's grace and for God's glory, we've been brought into God's family. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 6 ends by telling us it is to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is all by God's grace. Everything in this passage is speaking about God's work on our behalf. There's nothing here that speaks about us working And then God responding as a payment to us based on what we've done, what we've worked for, what we've earned, or what we've deserved. God works for his glory, but he works on our behalf. We are the beneficiaries of God's work. He's transferred us from one family 
to another. As, as Jesus is speaking to the religious elite in John 8, he, he tells them, even as they claim, we have Abraham as our father, and as a, as a slight, as a jab, they ask him, you know, who, who is your father? There's questions around who your father is, Jesus, but we, we have Abraham as our father, and Jesus says to them, your father is the devil, because you do his work. If God was your father, you would listen to me, you would heed what I am saying, but because you've rejected me, it's clear that the devil is your father. Such was the state for all of us at one point as well. Our father, the devil, belonging to him, but that God has transferred us from that family into his family where we can call him Abba, Father. This was predestined before time, but it was carried out in human history. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. As Paul talks about the adoption and what was done so that this adoption could be completed, he talks about Jesus coming in the fullness of time, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The work that Jesus came and accomplished, that he took on human flesh, that he was tempted in all ways just like we are, yet without sin, that at the appointed time he gave his life willingly in obedience to the Father's predetermined will, his purpose and plan. He was beaten, he was crucified, he was pierced, he died, he bled. He was buried, and he rose again. That is grace. That was done for you. That was done for me. This is an exceeding grace that God has shown all of this, all that Jesus suffered and endured so that you could become a member of his family. It's an exceeding grace. He didn't just save you and leave you. God didn't save you and then say, come on, slave. That would have been fair enough. Praise God for his salvation. But it is, and it's, it's an exceeding grace that God saved you. He didn't leave you. He didn't just call you as a slave, but he brought you into his family. 
Paul even speaks of this in Romans 8. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By God's grace and for God's glory, we have been brought into God's family He saved us and he made us sons and he made us daughters of the Most High God. I want you to consider that, that adoption is all of grace. God was under no obligation. I must make them my children. This is his kindness toward us. This blessedness that we receive from God, even like we saw last week, and it it comes to us, how? Through Christ. It comes to us through the beloved, this glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Nothing that we can take credit for, nothing we can claim as having earned But it's brought to us by the work of Jesus on our behalf, the beloved Son of God. You remember Jesus at his baptism, the voice from heaven? Kids, do you remember this story? What did the Father speak over Jesus when he came up out of the waters of baptism? This is my beloved Son. The Mount of Transfiguration, when when Jesus went up, with Peter, James, and John, and he was transformed right before them. And Peter pipes up, this is great, let's make tents, let's make tabernacles. And God the Father interrupts Peter, says, shh, Peter, this is my beloved son. Hear him, listen to him. Jesus is the Son, the beloved Son of the Father. Now we are rewarded based on the status of Jesus, on the accomplishment of Jesus, and this glorious grace that comes to us, comes to us on the basis of the beloved this grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The father was well pleased with the son and is eternally so. And we are loved as Jesus is loved. That is a love that is unbreakable. That is a love that is incomparable. That is a love that is unmatched and unfading. And it is all of grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has predestined us for adoption. He has called us into his family. He has given us a new identity. He has joined us together then as brothers and sisters in Christ. That we can be with one another in praise of our Father, that we have this now 
fellowship with one another. That is part of this blessing of adoption. To be brothers and sisters now. To be a family here, and and that's the church. And that we look forward to our inheritance. The day that not just with these brothers and sisters, but with all brothers and sisters across all places and, and through all time will be gathered in heaven, worshiping our great God and Father, calling out to him who is holy and who has been so kind and gracious toward us. We don't work our way there. We receive that as a gift from God. These are great truths that we're meditating upon. And I I hope that as we've looked at these this morning and as we continue to work through this passage, that we will be further encouraged, that our understanding of God's great love will be increase, that it will be growing, and our response as a result of seeing God's love for us will be greater love for him and greater love for each other as well, that our love would not just increase, but even multiply exponentially. This week, consider what it means that you are a daughter of God that you are a son of God. Consider where that puts you in standing with God. Consider where that puts you in relation to one another. And consider the praise that is to be given to God because of his marvelous work, this highest expression of God's love toward us. Let's pray. Father, it is a great love with, with which you have loved us. As we consider our place before you, Lord, I pray for the saints of Pillar Bible Fellowship that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that we would be reminded that Our standing before you is in the beloved based on what he has done and not what we have earned. This adoption is such an exceeding grace. It's nothing that we could merit. It's it's nothing that we could ever climb high enough to attain to. But it is a place that you bring us. You have elevated our standing And so we can have great comfort and confidence and courage and assurance in the work that you have done for us. And we can live lives as those who are free, no longer slaves of sin, but as sons and daughters of God and that we can give ourselves in service to you, even to be slaves of righteousness, that our hope, that our aim, that our purpose 
is to live for you, to adorn the gospel through our lives, this gospel that has saved us. Continue to bring us back to this place of meditation on this wonderful truth, Lord. When we doubt, when we fear, when we feel discouragement, Lord, when the, the weak seems to even get out of control, when there's difficulty that comes our way, bring us back to here and remind us, Lord God, of your exceeding grace toward us in Christ. Help us to relate to each other in an even greater way as brothers and sisters in Christ, this wonderful family to which we belong, and knowing, Lord God, that in this family we are growing up together in Christ, that we would be able to use our our gifts and our callings to stir one another, to press each other on in the faith, that together with one voice we would be united, unified in Christ, giving praise to our Father in heaven. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for these great truths contained within it, things which we would never know if you had not revealed them to us from your holy word. Lord God, direct our hearts in praise to you now even as we live out this week as a reflection of who we are in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.